Welcome to the Life in the Red podcast presented by the Lincoln Journal Star, your source for Husker news, analysis, and more. From football in the fall to recruiting in the summer, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Bassnett, Parker Gabriel, and Stephen M. Sipple. Three, two, one. Welcome in. Life in the Red podcast. There's Parker. There's Sip. I'm Chris. This is Palmer. Enjoying lunch as we record this at 12, 13 p.m. You're on a uh, Wednesday, December 13th, 2021. December 1st, Baz. It's not 13th December yet. December 1st. It's not the 13th. It's 12, 13 on 12, 1 is what there I was looking for. Yeah. So if it was 12, 13, we'd probably have a bunch of assistant football coaches hired <laughs> and we'd be talking about those, but we don't because it's not. And then you know what? I think that's a pl- good place to start. You guys have been on top of everything uh, these last few days as the season's gotten over and, and we've moved into the kind of the next portion as far as coach, coach movement, coach hires, coach fires and everything. So I'll turn it over to you, I guess. What are you guys hearing? What's the, what's the landscape looking at right, looking like right now for Nebraska's assistant coach search? Parker, go ahead. We are in the off season now. Go ahead. We are. You'd hardly know it. Um, I, I, it dawned on me today that Nebraska's last game of the year was five days ago. It feels like five <laughs> weeks ago in some, yeah. in some ways. Uh, there's yeah. a lot going on. I, I guess as we sit here at now 12, 14 p.m. simple on December 1st, it's worth noting that it's an extremely fluid situation. I mean, could have news while we're talking or an hour after or a day after or whatever. So sort of a moment in time. Um, but the basics haven't changed as we're talking now. Uh, no hires have been made official. Um, there's four spots to fill. We know, I guess, how do you want to do this? We go position by position, like sort of spot by spot. Obviously, we know Nebraska is going to hire an offensive coordinator. Um, that's been the toughest to get a read on sort of in terms of what Frost is looking for, what direction he might be looking. We know what he said um, during the season, but don't have a lot of direction Beyond there's that. stuff we know, though. We know there's we actually know quite a bit at this point, a lot more than we did last week. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah. Th- there are things that are very solid that we know. Um, we know, for instance, as you wrote, as you reported, Parker, earlier in the week, that 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 Mickey Joseph is squarely on the radar screen. Yeah, right. Um, right. Not and, as but not but not as an offensive coordinator candidate. No, 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 no. As a receiver, probably as a receivers coach, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so we know that. Um, oh, my wife just came home. This is going to be interesting. She's never seen me doing this. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we know that and we know and we know that. Um, you know, we know that Donovan Rayola is, is squarely <laughs> on the radar screen as an offensive line coach. Well, we know Bill Bush and Ricky Brumfield are in the mix as as probably special teams coordinators. Parker, yep. elaborate, please. Yeah, well, that's the I mean, that's sort of the the way that it's going to work. The reason why it's interesting is because that, that's sort of that's a good rundown of what we know about other staff positions. But there's an open question about exactly how the um, how the setup is going to work. I mean, you've got you know that you're going to need an offensive coordinator and you think it's possible that they're going to hire a special teams coordinator. And then after that, there's the question is how do the, how do the spots positionally sort of fall together? So 
you also know that whoever the offensive coordinator is probably wants to have a say in at least, wow, that's a nice kitchen you got there, Simple. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, you want know that the OC probably is going to want to have a say in at least one uh, staff position or maybe two. Um, and so the, the question then becomes like, how does that work? Because I think there's people um, who would be happy if you just said, hey, Mickey Joseph's going to be the receivers coach and he's going to be the recruiting coordinator. Uh, Bill Bush or Ricky Brumfield is going to be the special teams coordinator. And, you know, Donovan Rayola is going to be the offensive line coach. Okay, great. But then you need an OC and that's leaving the OC unless there's other attrition that we're unaware of at this point on the staff without the ability to have any in, input in his own people, unless they already know who it is and is, is having input behind the scenes. So yeah, that could be. We, have, we have quite a bit of information. I think we actually have a pretty decent picture of, of what it looks like at this point, but that one puzzle piece has enough influence in the whole picture that it's just not quite clear at this moment on Wednesday at 12, 18 PM, like how it all falls into place and also exactly when it all falls into place. One, one part of it that makes a lot of sense to me would be is if they hired Bill Bush as the, you know, it's probably the special teams coordinator and Mickey Joseph in that wide receivers role, because those two could work together in recruiting. Yeah. Um, they've, they're very familiar with each other, very familiar having worked together at LSU. And it would, I think it would form a pretty formidable recruiting team. And I'm, I'm not, in, you know, they're both good coaches too. I think that package would make a lot of sense. Uh, Donovan Rayola would make sense in that he was a – Parker, you know about his playing career at Wisconsin. He was a, he was a very good center at Wisconsin. Um, and there is a – you know, one thing we haven't talked a lot about is I think, you know, there's some – there's – it hasn't really come out necessarily, but there's a – there's – I mean, I think Cam Jurgens has a decision to make is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think the offensive line coach hire has to has to be a factor in that, I would think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, it's interesting. You know, there's there's a lot of angles we can go um, with this discussion. Just let's just keep it on on the OL front there for right now. I mean, yeah. he's a big you know, Jurgens. That's a big decision um, that, that has to be made. And we can talk a little bit more about that. The thing that's interesting about Rayola. Um, is he does, he's the assistant offensive line coach for the Chicago Bears right now. Um, he does have some college experience. He was a GA at Notre Dame. And the guy who we worked for at Notre Dame, and I think in Chicago, at least for a year, is a guy named Harry Heastand, who is yes. uh, regarded as one of the best to do it. And so you're sort of in this, like, if you could, if you hired an offensive line, if you hired an offensive coordinator who was an O-line coach, that'd be one way to do it. It'd be great if you could just say, give me the five best O-line coaches in the country um, and let's see if I can land one of them. Um, I don't know. I think Rayola checks a lot of boxes too. Um, I don't think it'd be a consolation prize. I don't think it's would specifically be about the fact that Donovan Rayola's nephew Dylan is one of the top 2024 quarterback recruits in the country, although that's certainly a convenient byproduct of the conversation. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, that's an interesting spot to watch. And it's made more interesting by the fact that 
you got to have synergy between your offensive line coach and your OC. Um, and you also got a really good center who probably wants to know what's going on uh, up front with who his coach is going to be next year if he decides to come back. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of balls in play, basically. There's a lot of there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of wrinkles to just you could say that for any of the four spots that are open, um, and then what it might look like going forward. The thing I, the thing I would add about um, the Donovan Rayola piece, I mean, some people will be cynical about it and say, <clears throat> "Well, that's just about Dylan Rayola." Well, it's not. It's not really because Nebraska's in a situation. I think you guys would agree they have to get it going quickly in 2022, Dylan Rayola is a 2024 quarterback. It, well, right. he doesn't matter. That, that conversation quickly becomes moot if, if they don't produce. Yeah. Right. Like if he doesn't, if he doesn't, if you don't think he's capable of pulling his own weight in 2022, there's no use having a conversation about a 2024 quarterback because Ross won't be here if they don't right. get it going at least a little bit uh, next year. So, yeah. And then, I think – I don't know, Simple. I mean, I, I think in terms of Mickey Joseph, I don't think at this point that's a conversation about whether Nebraska wants him to be in Lincoln. I think that's just about – you know, the situation obviously changed significantly in the last 48 hours at LSU. They had been – there had been weeks there where they didn't know who the next head coach was going to be after Ed Orgeron – you know, took the buyout and was known to be stepping down very publicly announced he was stepping down for the last several weeks of the regular season. And then boom, Monday night, they land Brian Kelly from LSU, um, you know, right. As guys start going out on the road and being in home and visiting and all of that. So that's, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't know if it's a tug of war. I don't know if it's decision mode. I don't know if the decision has been made, um, but certainly that timing of Brian Kelly getting hired there uh, was interesting in the grand scheme of when you when when Scott Frost trying to hire assistant coaches, basically. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I think we could say there's certain things we can say. There was, um, I mean, there was a thought within the program that they would like to get these hires done. Oh, by the most of them by the end of this week. So we're still, I'm still operating under that. Um, sort of illusion. Um, now, again, it can get complicated. Um, so we don't know exactly what those complications could be. There's a lot of movement in college football, though. So no kidding. Yeah, a lot. So I imagine I would say there, there's a pretty high degree of stress going on right now. I mean, it's really if you just back off and look at it, if you just take the 30,000 foot view. It's really interesting what's going on. I mean, they, it's kind of like our, coming. it's kind of like our zoom right now. There's a lot of movement. A lot yeah, of there's a lot of moving pieces. There's been a lot, there has been more movement than usual. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, the listeners rather than the viewers are really getting chipped on today, today yeah. on, in terms of what, uh, what, what, what they see and what they, what they, what you only hear. Yeah. Tricks threw a, a little bit of a wrinkle into my situation, but the, uh, cause she works at the same area. Um, so yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot. And, uh, but I, you know, you just gotta, I mean, if you're a Nebraska fan, you, you just have to, you basically have to trust that Frost can handle this. 
Um, but his CEO skills are being tested to the max right now. It's funny. I put the, this was not exactly a throwaway line. I thought it was interesting, but in writing about Mickey on Monday, the last thing I wrote in the story is that it's going to be a busy week for frost because he's going to be on the road, visiting recruits and also probably interviewing job candidates. Then when you like, but if you actually just think for a minute about what that looks like flying all over the place to see, they saw Jaleel Martin in Chicago yesterday. I think he and Travis Fisher, um, been all over the place and that what that looks like in addition to there being guys in the program like Cam Jurgens, Adrian Martinez, Damian Daniels that are trying to make decisions about their future, probably want to talk to the head coach about those decisions. Yep. Then you're also trying to interview coaches. And if you're interviewing coaches who are either a still playing this year or B like, let's say, in Donovan Rayola's case, obviously the NFL season's still going. Um, that's a lot of that's a lot to try to do all that uh, in a few days, um, and so yeah, it is a it's a week of action. It's a busy week, and we'll see what the uh, we'll see what the fruit looks like at the end of it, or in the next week, or or whenever. How long? You guys kind of already right. talked about this. I know there's some unknowns, but what do you? <laughs> Palmer's got thoughts too. What do you guys kind of expect for a timeline? Do you think it'll be by the end of this week that this will be wrapped up or do you see it stretching maybe into next week or even longer? I think there'll be some positions we'll know by the end of this week. I don't know if we'll know all of them, but well, it depends what you mean by the end of the week. I mean, by Sunday or Monday, maybe they would. That's, Parker, you that's think next week. Monday is next week. Yeah. Monday would be next week. <laughs> Sunday so. technically is also next week. Yeah, te- I never know what to. I always consider Sunday part of. Let's say let's say Saturday night. How about that? What, nah. are, what we- Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All if four. Everything- I'd be surprised if all four filled by Saturday night. Just a guess. Though. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other part of this that we I guess we've alluded to. I don't know. I was moving around. A- Adrian Martinez's decision. W- w- there's a decision to be made. It's become pretty clear that that. I don't think it's been made. Um, as of yesterday, right. I would say, Parker, you would agree. As of yesterday, um, I don't think there was any decision made with Adrian. So, yeah, I agree. And that situation changed, obviously, with his shoulder injury. It's, it's, you can, I can say definitively that that is a uh, rehab process that will last through the spring and probably into the early summer. And that is obviously a complicator. And there's some thought that maybe Adrian would just be more inclined to stay here in the program and rehab with people that he's, you know, that he knows um, it's a comfortable environment for him. So that's, I don't, I don't know exactly what he's thinking. It wouldn't surprise me if that's what he's thinking. though. Yeah. It's, that would seem to make the most sense, right? Like it'd be the easiest path for him if it's a pretty extensive rehab. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense in, in my mind, at least, if you're going to rehab, why would you, risk leaving a spot where you know the, what the care is going to look like, you know who the doctors are, you know who your trainers are. Like from that point of view, it's, it's a no-brainer. But maybe he's thinking on a different path than I am. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I don't know. I, mean, it's, I, I don't know when exactly we'll get that. That doesn't have to be a rush, though, right? Well, it especially – I mean, I think there's – you know, Frost said the last week of the season that there's a sense of urgency in, in making that decision. Um, but I think that – that sense of urgency, like from the, from the program standpoint, it's hard because like 
Adrian's done a lot for Nebraska. He's put a lot in. He's obviously got a long rehab ahead of him. Um, there's also the sort of non-emotional program end of it, which is the sense of urgency if you're looking at Nebraska from a football program standpoint, probably kicks up a notch once a new offensive coordinator is hired and once you know who the quarterback's coach is. That's for two reasons. A, Adrian will then know what that structure is going to look like um, going into the rest of the offseason. And B, that would be when figuring out what the quarterback room is going to look like in 2022 and what, if any additions need to be made to the room will kick into high gear that that happens once um, the new quarterbacks coach is in place. I mean, it seems to me that if you don't know exactly where Martinez is going to be health wise and what you've got is Logan Smothers, Heinrich Harburg and Richard Torres coming into the program in January, coming off a knee injury, that just, it seems to me like you have to add somebody to the room. I mean, that, that, that would be my read on it from here. Now, maybe they feel differently about it, but I think it's even a different situation than, than last year. Um, and a new offensive coordinator is going to know what kind of relationships he's got with other quarterbacks, whether they're in the portal, maybe they'll maybe, you know, going to be in the portal, um, whatever. And that they're going to know, Hey, this guy does not want to come here with Adrian Martinez looming in the background or no, he's totally right. comfortable with it. That, right. That's fine. He'll yeah. come and compete for the job and he knows he's got the spring and all, you know, like all of that, that's a, I think that's another complicated situation to sort of navigate here over the next few weeks. But I don't, especially as long as they don't have an offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach, like I don't think Adrian Martinez feels a lot of rush to get that figured out like right at this moment on Wednesday at 1230 PM. Yeah. He's a, Adrian's in a position, a real position of power. It seems like uh, in this, in this deal, like he knows. You agree Palmer? Adrian is a position of power. You're in a position of power right now, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> he, he knows, he knows what his coach thinks of him. He knows where he stands with this team and, and what his odds would be of, being the starter should he come through rehab all right and everything like that and so yeah it's you're right Parker he's not in a position where he needs to make this decision by the end of the week or anything like that he's he's got some time to, to he's got to he's got I think he can for the most part call his shot but he's not in a position that's as powerful as it would have been if not for the injury I mean well yeah if yeah. he hadn't got hurt I mean you'd be looking at it and saying even with some of the quarterbacks that are in the portal right now I mean you'd have a huge market. And I know, you know, I know we, we've all seen the ups and downs and we know what his strengths are and what his weaknesses are and all that, but there's just no doubt about it. I mean, if, you know, he would have a huge market, he would have, if he would have left last year, he would, if he'd have left after this year and decided he wanted to play one more, um, he'd be a sought after commodity and it, and, you know, or you have a chance to start for a fifth year here probably. And now that, injury really throws a, a wrench into the timeline, at least for him. So we'll see. I mean, that, that's a big decision. And, and I, don't, I think you would probably make it in the next couple of weeks and who knows, maybe it'll be in an hour, but I would think that's coming potentially more on a, it'll happen in December timeline rather than it'll happen any minute. Christmas morning. It's happening. Yeah. I unwrap a little present for everybody. Adrian, I know you don't listen to this podcast or I would guess you don't, but please, please, please do not do 
we are begging you to not make this decision. Hey, there are other there are other key. The, the, there's one position group that's especially intriguing to me right now, as far as getting hit by departures go, and that is the defensive line where we know Ben still he's moving on. He's he completed his eligibility his sixth year, but also it looks it looks it appears that Damian Daniels, who has a year of eligibility remaining, and DeAndre Thomas who has a year of eligibility remaining are also moving on. No, I don't know that it hasn't been announced officially, but I, but I mean, I talked to somebody this morning is, and it, it seems like that's where this is headed. Now that's a, it's a big hit for that defense, right? I mean, losing those three guys, that's oh, yeah. not easy. That won't be that's easy. Your, that's your three big cogs right there. Right. Like up front, but that's it. Like we got a lot of, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like quarterback, right? Like you've got, you had your stalwarts there, and now you've got a lot of young guys behind them that maybe played a little, but but are pretty unproven. So yeah, it'd be it'd be a huge a huge hole to fill if all three of those guys were, especially in the middle. Obviously, Daniels was there, you know, base. He played a lot the most of his career. He's their base, you know, interior player on rundowns, and then Stilly was the guy that played on the interior a lot in pass rush situations. So that's a lot of snaps and a lot of production in the middle of the field to replace if indeed, you know, Thomas and, and Daniels are both gone. Um, they've got young players in the program. You know, I think, I think in terms of recruiting, they're probably only taking one high school defensive lineman. They don't, don't actually have a commit yet, although they have a kid named Brody Tagaloa who's taken an official visit um, to Nebraska this weekend who that, who Tony Tuyote really likes. They're recruiting a, a couple of junior college guys, but yeah, that's a, you know, you've got Ty Robinson and Casey Rogers, um, and then you're going to have some young players that are really going to be asked to step into real roles. Guys like Nash Hotmacher, perhaps guys like Marquise Black, Mosai Newsome, maybe even Jalen Weaver, um, just, you know, first year in the program, obviously. Um, Jordan Riley has another year as a junior, former junior college transfer. So, yeah, that, that could turn into a sneaky sort of second rebuild uh in three years although i will say like if you, you we can talk about it as a full rebuild but casey rogers and ty robinson is not a bad place to start on that yep. you know they need to find some guys and some guys are gonna have big roles but there's two players right there that have, have played a lot of football for for nebraska over the past couple of years yeah quick shout out to stilly ben stilly i would say played excellent football um yep. most of the season but especially late and I think he got – well, I know he got NFL people's attention. He'll have a shot. He can get in the camp and and, move yeah. and and bang around in a camp and see what he can come up with. Um, Stilly, Stilly really played well. I mean, played with a lot of heart. But all just played well down the stretch. He did. Yeah, um, go, go ahead, ahead Parker. No, no, I was yeah. just going to say, that's a guy like you, you feel great for him. You also feel bad for him, right? Like he came back and – and he fully took advantage of that extra year. And, and like you said, Sip turned himself into a, a legitimate – professional prospect which I'm sure was one of his goals but he also came back because he didn't want to go three and nine you know and there's that there's that part of it too at the end of the day and and you feel bad for him in that respect and that's something you know that's a kid that obviously loves the program and and put a lot into it in six years so there's there's great things probably that are going to come from it from Ben for, for Ben, but there's also going to be that lingering, you know, maybe what if, or did I make the right decision just based on, you know, what Nebraska's record was. Uh, at the Absolutely. End. It's so interesting because outside of obviously, you know, Will Honus 
uh, had the knee injury in the spring. But I, I think you could make the argument that the rest of the guys who came back as six-year seniors for Nebraska, um, that they all helped themselves. You know, Ben Stilley helped himself from a pro perspective. Markel Dismuke and Deontay Williams obviously both both played well. Opponents uh, got hurt. Um, and then Cam Taylor-Britt probably helped himself too. He's not a six-year guy, but he came back for another year. Uh, he, I think he probably helped himself in the eyes of evaluators too. Um, so that's a, yeah, that's a, I think all those guys probably benefited from coming back. Samari Ture, I think benefited from showing that he could be productive at the big 10 level after you're in the FCS. And so there's a lot of, um, I don't mean, this isn't meant to sound Pollyanna-ish. It's just an odd reality that there were a lot of individual success stories in terms of like building yourself for the next level on this team this year, and Cam Jurgens went from a guy who couldn't snap consistently to being really on the NFL's radar screen. You know, there's a lot of guys who have done um, themselves a lot of good in the past 12 months in the program. And it's just sort of mind boggling that that turned into the worst winning percentage since 1957 in the program. Yeah, it's, it is mind boggling. It's, it speaks to a couple things. One, one that's not a, positive commentary on this coaching staff and one that nobody has any control over. It was a wicked schedule. Um, and it was, we knew it was going to be wicked going in and it was probably even worse than we thought. I mean, that was a, that was a very hard schedule as it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. Now, now do I think that the coaches squeezed it, you know, per your conversation or per what you just said, do I think this coaching staff squeezed everything it could? out of this team. I really don't. I, I, I just don't know how you could say they did. I think if they did, it would be in a bowl. It would be a lower tier bowl, but I think they, even as wicked as that schedule was, I think this team could have got to a bowl game. Well, yeah, that goes back to the, all the, the one score loss discussion, right? Like if you squeeze everything out of this team, you, you win a few of those one score games. And yeah. Then of course that flips everything. So maybe you're six and six to three and nine or whatever, whatever it is. So yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there step. I, they, there's a lot of individual success stories, but yeah, they did. They didn't squeeze everything they could get out of this team for sure. Now, I don't know the one thing, just circling back to Cam Jurgens real fast. I, um, the thing that I heard today is that he's getting a third to fifth round draft grade. Um, and in one way you could get him back here is to say, well, third to fifth round is good, um, but one to one to three would be much better, and it matters. I mean, there's no question it matters. If you're a if you're drafted in the first through third rounds, I mean, basically you're being counted on to contribute right away, and they're going to put more into you. You're, they're going to put more money into you, and they're going to put more time, and they're going to give more give you more patience. Um, so I don't know. I think that would be one way to sell Cam getting back. If you're a fifth round pick, there's not going to be as much patience and not, and not, not as much money, obviously. Well, it's interesting. You know, they're looking at like, take Iowa. I mean, Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa is an exceptional talent. He's being talked about as a potentially a top 15 type pick, you know, potentially the top half of the first round. You don't even need that. I mean, if you're, if you get into that first, second round and I think Cam, that's that's rarefied air to be any kind of offensive lineman, but especially an interior offensive lineman, and to be talked about in that kind of um, that kind of realm. But 
Cam's got the package of athleticism and, and ability um, to have that sort of future potentially. And I don't stop my place to say whether he should, you know, come back or, or whatever, but I, I think it's a different conversation with him than it is for a guy like just take Damian Daniels for, as an example, Damian's got himself in really good shape. He's been in college a year longer. He's also been a defensive lineman for like nine years going back to high school. Cam's been playing center for three. He's young at the position. He's a year or two years younger than a lot of the guys that are leaving uh, Nebraska to go to the NFL. And all of that combines to make him, I think, just from a projection and talent perspective, the most interesting decision um, among the Nebraska players on whether he can really build more into his draft stock by coming back another year. Cam Jurgens, uh, third team All Big Ten uh, today by the media that that was announced earlier. Some other guys got some nods too. We need to touch on that. Austin Allen, a first team All Big Ten pick by the media tight end, uh, first Nebraska tight end to be a first teamer uh, since. Was it Harrion? Matt Harrion? Yeah, Matt, Matt Harrion in 03. Matt Harrion of Pierce. I think it was a sophomore year, Baz, in 03. Yeah. Different kind of tight end than than um, Austin Allen. He was a he was a he was a he had serious speed. He almost had wide receiver type speed. Yeah. Um, at least straight line speed. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't super agile, but the he yeah, so yeah, it was Herring in 03. And I, and this is Austin Allen's Nebraska's first non-punter or place kicker to make the first team all-conference team since 2014. So you got to go back a ways. That was that was Randy Gregory at defensive end and Kenny Bell at receiver. Um, Nebraska went through a stretch there, 2014, 2013, 2012, 2011, where they always they were they were getting three, four, and five first team all conference picks the well went dry and the records went bad. And there's, and there's a direct correlation in my opinion. Yep. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, Sip, you, you guys were kind of talking about you're on top of that today. Who else? We, we talked Austin Allen. We just talked Cam Jurgens. Who else today got recognized by the big 10 and kind of your thoughts on where they fell maybe. Uh, just Cam Jurgens. Uh, besides Austin Allen and Cam Jurgens, there was two honorable mentions. Samari Ture was an honorable mention. Um, and Adrian Martinez was an honorable mention by the coaches. Um, so that, that was, those were the only other ones. All right. Uh, Park, you want to hit on a little bit of recruiting here and then we can move on to hoops and, and, and call it a podcast. Yeah. That's the other, that's the other part of what's going on right now is there's, there's a lot of recruiting to be done on Nebraska. I think right now that, that we know of has three players coming in for official visits uh, this week, Brody Tagaloa, who's listed in the recruiting services as a tight end, but Nebraska's recruiting him as a defensive lineman uh, from the Bay Area, California. Tony Tuioti was out to see him earlier in the week. Uh, they also have a defensive back coming up named Malcolm Hartzog, who's sort of an under-the-radar type um, from Mississippi that they really like. Uh, it's easy to draw comparisons to players in the recruiting world, but it's a little bit Cam Taylor-Britt-like from when Cam was in high school. Um, he's just a really good athlete um, that Nebraska likes as a defensive back. He'll be here. And then uh, Gage Stanger, who's uh, already committed, um, he'll be, I think, in town for his official visit this weekend because you get to do that even if you're from right down the road. So 
Um, it's pretty interesting because Nebraska's efforts, I mean, they're still recruiting a few high school kids. They're, they're obviously getting a couple that they like to add to the class high school wise. Um, they're interested in a guy from Minneapolis who's kind of intriguing. Um, and his name's Emmett Johnson. He's a running back, um, had 42 touchdowns as a senior in high school. They're up to see him yesterday. Uh, we'll see if they get him in for an official before the December signing period. I haven't actually technically offered him a scholarship yet, but they're obviously interested. And then the other part of it's the portal. I mean, there's, there's just players pouring into the transfer portal from all over college football. Um, it's a feeding frenzy. Although, I mean, a lot of them are getting recruited right away. Some of them are going to have to wait. Uh, Nebraska's made some offers. They're recruiting some guys, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, defensive backs, defensive linemen. I mean, just across the board, I'm sure they're in on receivers and running backs too. Um, you know, they're probably starting to work on the quarterback scene, although that's going to have to come together a little bit as the offensive staff does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an entirely different animal than it was even two years ago, certainly different animal than when the portal first became a thing in, in 2018. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, all, it's like free agency, basically, and it's remarkable um, how many players in and out uh, over the last couple of weeks. The only two for Nebraska, Savion Morrison before the regular season ended, and then Marvin Scott yesterday. So a couple of young running backs. Into the portal. Hurdled, just hurdled right into the portal. Um, so that, that could be why Nebraska is taking a keen interest in, in – uh, this kid from Minneapolis, um, and it could also spur them to look at at running backs in the transfer portal too. They have another one. They have a high school kid committed uh, already named Ashton Hayes from Reno. Uh, Tony Tuioti was out to see him yesterday. So a lot of stuff going on on the recruiting trail as well. What if what if I asked you a question? Nebraska has nine players in its class of 2022 right now. Nine verbally committed players. Why? I, if I now in your if you're in frost situation where you got to win now, development gets pushed to the back burner. I would think, why not just stop it at nine and and fill out the class with transfers and portal people, portal people. I mean, I think that's because you can't. You've got to have some. You know, you've got to. You've, you're going to recruit some high school players now. They're not recruiting very many. They've got nine in the class right now. Um, I think they might add three more, four more. Um, you know, they've got two coming in this weekend. And if you're coming on an official visit 10 days before signing day, the school probably wants you. So we'll see if they land one or both of those guys. Um, let's say they land both. That would get them to 11. I don't think it's going to go much past that. Um, they haven't had a lot of guys go in the portal so far. Space is going to be pretty tight. You'd think, simple that, that they want – five, six, seven, maybe more uh, spots for transfers. And they just don't, they don't have room to add much more to the high school class and also take a good number of transfer players. And I, as you sort of indicated, I think they're going to tilt the scales pretty heavily toward, toward transfers going. I mean, let's say, let's say over the next two months, they add 10 players. I think it would be maybe three, high school kids, four high school kids, and then six or seven transfers. That would be yeah, more important than me out. saying that, Frost has said it. Uh, yeah, right. Frost said one, one way to get this program from being close to getting it over the top is to go get some difference makers. 
which is that's the word that's the two words he used difference makers is that one word that could be one word but um he's a hyphen in there um difference maker yeah so that's that's that baz we got to talk some hoops it's a big december now yeah uh starts tonight actually yeah by the, by the time you guys uh by the time you guys listen to this podcast Game will have probably been started or be over, but Nebraska tonight at North Carolina State, part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. First of five straight games against power conference opponents after NC State. They will head to Indiana, play the Hoosiers on Saturday. Then they'll come home, play Michigan next Tuesday. Then they head down to Atlanta, play Auburn uh, a week after that on December 11th, and then Kansas State at home on December 19th. So, Really, really big stretch for Nebraska coming up. This is why they set the schedule up the way they did. They thought they would probably be at worst six and one right now. Um, I'm, I'm sure they didn't schedule Western Illinois thinking they were going to lose that game. They're five and two. They've won four in a row. They've built a little confidence. Now you go on the road for the first time and you play a team that has a pretty similar profile to you. Um, has played one power conference opponent and lost. NC State lost to Oklahoma State. Uh, it's a team that's been pushed by some lower some lower major and some mid-major teams. I, th- I believe Cornell played them within three points. Louisiana Tech played them tough the other night. So kind of similar to Nebraska in a, in a, in a lot of ways. It's going to be a really good test, I think, for Nebraska to see how far they've come, you know, since the Creighton game. Um, of course, being on the road is different, but we all remember how that Creighton game started being down 19 points, you know, 10 minutes into the game and having to claw all the way back, and they almost did to their credit, but – Fred Hoiberg has talked about how this team has grown uh, since then. He said he likes, he said yesterday, he likes this team where it's at right now a lot more than he did, you know, maybe at the start of the season after they lost Western Illinois and, and had the Creighton loss a couple nights later. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating part of the schedule. Nebraska under Fred Hoiberg is three and 25 away from Lincoln uh, over the last two, two seasons. And that includes two wins in, at a neutral side at the Cayman Islands classic a couple years ago. They've won one true road game under Nebraska, un- um, under Hoiberg. And that was at Penn state last year when Teddy Allen hit a shot with 12 seconds left uh, to win that game by a point. So yeah, it's, it's a really good test uh, for this team uh, to see how they handle the adversity, you know, away from home when they don't have the PBA crowd behind them to, to play through some tough stuff when they don't have the crowd behind them and all those sorts of things. So yeah, it's tonight's just the first of a lot of really, really tough, um, interesting tests coming up for Nebraska basketball. Okay. Um, well, let's go into the vet. Um, the, the, <laughs> Hey, now listen, that's interesting, Baz. Um, yeah. NC state looks beatable. I put it at about yeah. a 30% chance that Nebraska wins this game. I think Ken Palm is right on at 28%. Yeah. So, I think that's about right. Yeah. I think NC state was like a six and a half point favorite uh, when the line came out uh, at home. So yeah, look, Nebraska can win this game. Um, if they shoot it like they have been the last four games, they're over 50% three of the last four games from the field. If they get production from Derek Walker in the paint like they have the last four games, now those are big ifs because the competition level is different. But if you get that, if you're able to hit some outside shots, so Bryce McGowan keeps doing what he's done, if you can get contributions from C.J. Wilcher, from T.C. Tomanaga, and get a couple other guys to step up, yeah, they, they could very easily win this game. I, I'm with you, Sip. It's And it's – it does you some good because you look at what Indiana's done so far. They were unbeaten until last night. They lost in double overtime at Syracuse. And Trace Jackson Davis is just an absolute monster right now for the Hoosiers. And he's going to be tough to stop. Michigan was a top five team uh, in the preseason until they lost a couple of games where they're still going to be a bear with Hunter Dickinson inside and the way they play defense. 
Um, Auburn, Auburn's really, really talented. Maybe the most talented team Nebraska can play in this in this five game stretch. They've just got dudes all over the place, even though the ranking maybe doesn't show it. So, yeah, getting a win tonight would do you a lot of things. One, it would tell you you're on the right track, certainly um, from the beginning of the season. And two, it tells you that with the stretch you have coming up, you're going to be able to play with a lot of these teams. And so that's that's what makes tonight's game so important. Yeah. Now the one thing to watch in this game is Walker's and is critical no matter what, but, it, but I think he's especially critical because North Carolina state's big man is out. Um, yeah. Um, go ahead. I forget his name, but yeah, led the ACC in block shots a couple of years, last year, average about 10 points a game, about average about a double, double, uh, if I remember right. And, and they lost him first game of the year to a season ending injury. So they've got a six eleven guy starting in his place, but his numbers aren't great. You know, it's a guy they expected to be a backup this year. So that's, yeah, that's a real position where Nebraska might have an edge, even though they're not going to throw, you know, 6'11 out there outside of Eduardo Andre. You know, Derek's going to get the majority of those minutes, assuming he stays out of foul trouble and, and doesn't get hurt. But, yeah, they, they need Derek Walker to do what he's done because I think that makes everything a lot easier for Nebraska on offense when he's going. Yeah, I mean, you, this is this team is largely about – I mean, the two best players are Alonzo Verge and Bryce McGowan's. But they, yeah, they could use a, somebody – to go with them on a consistent basis. It doesn't have to be the same guy. It's not going to be the same guy. It could be Wilcher <laughs> on a given night. CJ Wilcher Walker is a good, is a good one that could go with them. Lat man. Um, if, if those guys could what just one of those could rise up every night and give you three double digit guys, that would help a lot. Um, yeah. That's what they need. And that's what they got the other night with Tominaga uh, playing the way he did scoring 23. Uh, they, they just need some yeah. more, and, you know, um, so we'll see what it looks like. But, yeah, absolutely fascinating stretch for Nebraska basketball right now. It's probably going to give us a pretty good gauge, I think, on, on what, what the rest of the season is going to look like at once we get to the end of this five-game stretch. Right. Well, I like that you're – I like that you're – you pegged the percentage right where Ken Palm does. I've always thought of you as being sort of like a supercomputer. Yeah, I do too. When you <laughs> – yeah, I don't mind you saying that. I think of that. I think of myself that way. I, I think of you in a lot of different ways, Sip. That's not one I had thought of, but I'll, I'll start considering it a little more. Why don't you bite your tongue then? Uh, fine. You know what? I will. I have, a, I have a young son in the house, and I will bite yes. my tongue. How about that? <laughs> All right, guys. Not, no, my son, yeah. My son's climbing onto a coffee table right now, so I'm gonna, we're going to end this podcast. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully we'll have some assistant coaches to talk about and we'll see where the hoops team's at. So until next time, talk to you soon.